Now more than ever, the industry that fuels the world needs the right people to modernize and unify a global energy platform. The transformation is both digital and cultural. Join us as we explore strategies for success in the hyper-competitive war for talent here on the Energy Workforce of Tomorrow podcast, hosted by the IBM North American Oil and Gas Team. Hello and welcome to another episode of Energy Workforce for Tomorrow. Hey, Jerry, I hear we've got one of our special guests back again, haven't we? We do. For the second time, we have a repeat guest. First was David Reed, although we haven't launched his second episode yet, but we did tape one. We've got but back- But this lady's much better than oh, David much Reed. better. Come on. And we're really privileged to have her back. The first conversation was fascinating and educational for us both. And Lord knows we both could use more education. Absolutely. And she's back to re-educate us or continue educating us, I should say, Liz Swigert. Woohoo! Hi, Liz. Hey, Liz. Hi, thank you for having me back. And I'd also like to thank our presenting sponsor, Ericsson. Oh, thank you very much. Jason. Did I missed that one. There you go. She, she called you out on your list. Do your you like to be there. part of I think she's now become a core <laughs> element of I, our uh, I think so. She's keeping you honest, Jason. There which you go. None of us have been able to achieve. <laughs> I know she keeps David honest. Now she's now working on me. So Jace, what are we talking about today with Liz? So we're talking about Safe Kids AI, Liz. Safekids.ai? Safekids.ai. How is that possibly relevant for energy workforce of the future, Jason? Let's find out in the next 25 minutes. Can you give us, Liz, Safe Kids AI? Who are they, what are they, and what's your role there? All right. Well, I am the Chief Product and Strategy Officer for Safe Kids AI, and we are on a mission to empower kids to be safer online by helping them make better decisions. So you asked about how is that relevant? Well, when we think about how we treat online safety, whether that is our young people or it's adults, there's really one prevailing framework. We block people's access, we restrict their use, and then we rat them out. And the challenge is that when all we do is block, all we do is restrict, on a timely basis or a block for a day, a week, an hour? Any time. I mean, if you think about it, whether it is setting up those timers on your devices, you think about it at the office when you go try to book the hotel for, I don't know if this has happened to you, you go try to book the hotel for the conference and you are blocked by the system and you just get this message that says, you've been blocked, contact mm. your system administrator. <laughs> mm. And it's like, I am a grown adult who's trying to make... and. It's because the conference is being held in Vegas and the conference hotel is also a casino. And so the system goes, oh, that's gambling. You can't do that. Mm. And what it does is it creates frustration. It triggers a great desire to get around, which is evolutionarily helpful, but not particularly useful or educational in this case. Yeah, it's super interesting. And you mentioned you asked Jason, a question about how to set it up. My girls are 13 and 15. And since we got them phones, we did wait till eighth, right? We didn't do phones or any of that until eighth grade, which essentially is now for my 13-year-old and was a couple of years ago for my 15-year-old. We set them up on essentially screen time, which allows us, I use it mostly to set time limits because my wife and I feel strongly that kids don't necessarily have an understanding of how to set their own limits and need boundaries, right? We talk about boundaries a lot. Liz, I'd love to get your perspective on that because we certainly give them a lot of autonomy and what they can do, but we don't want them on their phones nine hours a day when they've got 
other activities they need to prioritize. And we've all heard about, you know, TikTok and the algorithms that are out there around drawing you in and not letting you go. We want to set boundaries, but we also want to empower. So where's the balance there? And does it change as you get older? So it does change and it doesn't change. Mm. Why would it not change? It wouldn't change if you're not educated. So when we go back to this whole blocking and restricting, setting all of these limits, what are we teaching by that? If what we're teaching is there will always be a bumper that will stop you before you get to the edge, that's not right because that's not true. Because once they're out of your house or off of your devices, they have free reign. And so what we need to do is rather than put up the electric fences, which per Jurassic Park, the first time we know don't work long term, <laughs> we need to figure out what are these kids going to do when the fences go down? And that is part of what we're also seeing in the transition to the workforce. So we have all of these digital devices. We live in a more digitally enabled world than ever before, whether we are kids, whether we are adults. When we think about what creates what is colloquially referred to as internet addiction or device addiction, it's a cute term to use. It's not really an accurate description of what's going on. So for those who are incapable of separating themselves from the device, that's problematic technology use or problematic internet use. Mm -hmm. And it's in the slippery slope that leads to that is two things. And it's really important to understand what they are. The first one is a developing a preference for only interacting through technology with others. So preference for online social interaction. And COVID did us no favors here. <laughs> so we only want to connect online. It's the people who are like, don't leave me a voicemail. If you want to talk, don't call me, just text me. And pushing away that authentic human connection, which is one of the two things the human brain is wired for. Like our brain comes standard with two things. One, stay alive. Number two, connect with other humans so you can see number one. Mm. That's what we're wired to do. And so when you have tech that comes in and disrupts that, that's hugely problematic. The second piece is when you start to look to technology or the internet to regulate your mood. I feel bad about myself. I go online. I post something and it gets me a reaction. That reaction makes me feel better about myself. Mm. The Dope reaction means. could be horrible. But that's not the point. I'm getting attention. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And what we don't do a particularly good job of doing is educating young people in the moment with technology, because the longer the distance between the behavior and the correction, the less the likely the actual behavior change will be. It is, hate to use the analogy, a lot like training a dog. Yeah, yeah. I was mm -hmm. just thinking that in my head. If you yell at the dog three hours after it has an accident on the rug it's sitting there going but i thought laying on the couch was cool what's going on and i don't understand back. the rules anymore and that's the other part of it as well is how we educate and we struggle as adults with communicating these boundaries to young people because the boundaries are still evolving even for us as adults let's just as a challenge to that because i've thought i've got two older daughters that have left now and i wondered we didn't grow up. I certainly didn't. I think we're all roughly the same age, plus or minus 10 years, let's say. I'm 31. No, I'm not. Um, <laughs> but we didn't grow up with these mobile devices. And so is it just that we're the older generation? I'm 54, let's be honest. And so I'm the, you know, off to put my feet up at some point. Jerry, that's not Off the saying. pasture? Off the pasture. Mm -hmm. 
But we really don't understand. This technology's come into our hands. Everything's there. We're used to Liz. We wanted to know something at work. Where did Marco Polo go in which years? What would we do at school? We'd have to go and find that data in a library. You'd, have, you'd spend the time. I'm sure we all did. Now, the kids don't want to do that. Their value is, I want to know the years Marco Polo. I could literally, within 10 seconds now, I've had my phone on, work it out. And the kids, my daughters were saying to me, but dad, that's not interesting, finding the data. It's what to do with it. I just wonder if we are the older generation and we're missing, I think it was probably television when we were younger of how, when we could use a telly when we couldn't. But mm. I just wonder if, you know, is this the new, we're older now and this is going to take longer, but at work, guess how you're going to do work? You can't put your telephone down. WebEx, emails, connections, Slack, documents, DocuSign, it's all on. And I just, yeah, just as a challenge to us, you know, the older generation, and I am getting older, but do we really understand? Are we holding the kids back? This is the new, maybe I'm on my own here. People are looking at me weird. No. (laughs) You understand what my challenge. I think I get where you're going, which is, and I'm just going to rephrase it and make sure that I understand where you're going, which is that is perhaps the approach that we're taking of, no, you can't do this. You have to do it the way that we did. Just the time with the devices is the problem. Yes. Mm. The thing is, it's not a question of, is the time with the device the problem? The question from our perspective is, how well equipped are you to self-regulate when you have incredibly attractive distractions at your fingertips? Because again, it's not the amount of time that you spend If that time is generative, if that time that you're spending online is researching something that's really interesting and cool, I want you to be able to do that. Yeah. Frankly, video gamers are folks who have helped us to discover protein structures in times faster than scientists have been able to. So we tend to start vilifying the things that we may not necessarily understand, to your point. But what we really come back to and what we have seen be successful is in the moment education that's able to pause. So the framework that we use is actually based on a lot of psychology. It's based on a lot of child psychology. It's based on a lot of research. And what we look at is a three-part approach that says, first, how do we pause? Because the technology is built to suck us in and keep us there. And that is true, kids, adults. I know many of us have missed several elevators because we have started doom scrolling in the elevator lobby. Did it yesterday? yesterday. Rear-ending somebody because you're trying to text or whatever. Right, like we get sucked in and we stay there. So we have to find ways of truly pausing, not interrupting, but disrupting the pattern. That gives us an opportunity to reflect reflecting is when we understand why. Why have you set this boundary or why have you set this limit? Not, oh, my parents don't want me to be online or I can't believe that my employer, which has me working X number of hours a day at home, I just realized that I'm out of dog food. I've got to order some on Amazon. And you go to do that on your computer and you're blocked because online shopping is blocked. 
by your network administrator. Yeah. And you're mm. like, dude, ah, come yeah, on, man. I worked so hard. Why are you doing this to me? Yeah. So there's a piece of it's like, well, why? Like the number one issue in change management isn't that people are naturally resistant to change because they're not. Because all you do from the time you're born is change. But you know, I was just thinking what you, I like the challenge because then if you take your safekids.ai and take it to the workforce, I think what you would say, Liz, is you have to watch for remarks. You know, people making comments that are incorrect, whether it's remarks about weight, height, hair, exposing themselves to in and out of anything that's on the internet. And then also an understanding of the way you write something can be taken two or three ways. I mean, Jerry, you and I were talking about this. If Safe Kids AI, I assume Liz, that's the first thing, is, but that's a great thing to take back into the industry and understand. Because again, go back to my thing, we never grew up with this digital sort of background. Well, you're spot on. And in fact, you just highlighted, I think unwittingly, unknowingly, that's you highlighted, one of, you highlighted <laughs> one, of, one of the pieces of software that we've built that's used now by well over a thousand kids is specifically built to do that. It lives locally on their computers and it addresses their messaging. And what the artificial intelligence looks for is messages that are unkind or inappropriate. And here's the key though, is that it's not about saying you are a bad person because this goes back to the psychology. You do yep. not level the response individual at the child or the adult. You level it at the behavior. You also make it proportional. You only give the level of firmness of response that's needed to address the behavior at the level of the behavior. You don't need overwhelming force for everything. Mm. So when the system recognizes a message that looks like it might be unkind or inappropriate, it pauses. So you go to hit send and it pauses and it prompts you to reflect with a question. Is this message kind? And you have a choice. You can say, let me try again. Or you can say, send it anyway. Dude, I need something like that at work, Jerry. <laughs> well, and that's the funny thing is that I have had adults tell me that they've gone to the Chrome store and downloaded our Chrome extension that again is intended for kids, yeah. but they've done it for themselves because the contractor on their house, they're about to send something really rude. But the idea is, here's the thing though, is you, one, it's the pause, two, it's the reflect, and then three, it is the redirect. So it's, okay, let's put this energy to doing something that is generative, that is good, that is beneficial. Yeah, so a couple tools that we have where we work that aren't necessarily used everywhere, but maybe we could think about this. When you give recognition to somebody, I don't know if you've done this recently, Jason, there's a tone analyzer that you can use to assess whether it's positive and it's an AI-based sentiment analysis tool that could be used, you know, and incorporated into Outlook or whatever our email drafting tools Good are, point. right? As a sentiment, an analyzer, as a bolt-in. And then recently, and I told my team about this, I found a little hook in Outlook where you can put a 20-second pause on any email that you send. And I've done that now because, yeah, you can. Google gives you 30 seconds. I'll tell you how, Jason, offline. But what that essentially does is it allows you to stop and reflect. And for a long time, Liz, on any email that's important, I just stop and I'm like, I'm not going to send this. Anything I write where I'm emotional, I stop. I'm not going to send that. And then I reread it and 99% of the time I never send it or I completely rewrite it. 
because you know the emotion takes over the logic and I need that 20 seconds yes but the 20 (laughs) seconds can be super useful because it gives you a chance to undo and to wait well the behavioral science tells you that it takes seven seconds for you to regret your poor life choices Mm. if you can give yourself at least seven seconds to reflect yeah you can make a better decision. And I'll tell you like how good and how effective this is. Like we patented it <laughs> because the whole idea behind pause, reflect and redirect, as you said, it applies across the board to all of us. But going back to how we teach that to our young people, to our kids, is then directly related to how well they are set to perform in the workplace. Mm-hmm. Because again, Jason, your point You have so many interactions day to day in the workplace where you need to think about what you're feeling, how you're about to respond to the situation. You need to ask yourself, is this really what I should be doing? It's a key contributor to self-awareness and knowing your impact. I think those are skills that we could all do with being taught much, much younger. So it's great that you're starting to do that with kids. I want to go back to an earlier question I asked you, Liz, because I'm not sure I got an answer. It was more of a response as opposed to maybe an answer, or maybe there isn't an answer. And maybe the answer is save kids. I don't know. But is it or is it not the case that parents should be establishing for their kids as they grow boundaries, but maybe boundaries that become smaller and less rigid as kids become more able to discern, decide, understand long-term impact and make decisions on their own, as opposed to say, don't touch the burner, you're going to burn yourself and you grab the kid, you smack him on the bottom, whatever it is you do. I'm not saying we do that and advocating that, but whatever methodology you use when kids are young, that's a little more strident and rigid that may shift as they get older. But are you saying for kids that are 10, 12, 13, eight, nine, that there should be no boundaries except for the kind of pause, reflect, and redirect structure you're recommending? Or are hard boundaries advocated sometimes? So the key thing with making boundaries healthy is first identifying whether something needs a boundary because you can make all sorts of rules. And I know we see this in corporate life. We see all sorts of rules and we're like, why does this rule exist? Like, this is just silly. But somebody thought, oh, somebody might do this. So we're going to make this hard and fast rule. And then all of a sudden you find all these people suddenly trying to get around it simply because it's there. Right. So when it comes to then deciding how do you set a boundary, what we advocate for is actually family boundary setting. Because again, so much of what happens, especially in the online world with kids, we have this incredible desire and it's a right one to keep them safe because yes, the internet is terrifying. I spend time with it every day and it is really, really scary. Mm -hmm. At the same time, if all you do is say, the internet's super scary, you can't go there. Oh man, guess where I'm going? So it's an important element of bringing families together and having conversations about what is it that we want the internet to get used for in this house? What in this family do we want to use the internet for? Because we do want to foster curiosity. Curiosity is natural and it's necessary to child growth. Rather than simply coming in and saying, well, these are the boundaries and this is it, having a conversation as a family, as a parent, you still have to set the parameters that are right for you and how you want to raise your kids and involving them in the conversation so they understand why. I said before, change management 101, if people don't understand the why, they're not going to go along with it. 
And it's not because they're naturally resistant to change. It's because they don't understand why what you're asking them to do in the future is that much better than what they were doing now, especially when it doesn't look very good. Mm. I remember my younger daughter starting to use some internal messenger and she put kiss, 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 XXX and clearly uh, tried to bring some pornographic material in. I think that because she was sending, I think there was mm-hmm. three or four friends. How safe kids got AI looking at this? That's the terrifying But You just reminded me of that because my daughter brought me the phone and went, dad, who's this? And I was like, okay, let's, she wasn't searching. She was just being a young, being a beautiful, kid. young girl. Yeah, She's being a kid. So part of the challenge is that we have, and I say this as a society, we have an urge to throw AI at literally everything. <laughs> It's like, oh, you're making a cup of coffee? Let me put AI on that. And it's Mm. like, well, let's step back for a second and let's think about what's the problem we're trying to solve and what are the best tools to solve that problem? So our approach and what we've developed is it's called Intent AI, patent pending. The key that we found is that it's not about the keywords. So much of the AI that's been built around online safety, whether it's kids or adults, because we all get our emails pulled into quarantine where it's like, this looks like a scam. This looks like phishing. And you're like, no, this was the email I really, really needed to get on time. And I had to go phishing through my spam folder to find. What we have developed is an AI that is looking at context because there's a very big difference between I hate you and think you should die. And the message, roll the die to see who goes first. (laughs) English is incredibly problematic for this. Mm. And that's just if you're writing in standard English. What we don't look at is context. And that's part of the prevailing issue we have across all of our online safety, if you will, is that because we don't have the contextualization, which is what our AI is looking for, we're looking for context. Because again, Every click can't be a crisis. So what do we do to say, okay, where is the contextual piece where we need to actually have a conversation about this? Because at the end of the day, you don't send technology to solve a human problem. Absolutely. What we're doing is we are creating an enabler, and it's an enablement of important conversations between kids and the trusted adults in their ecosystem. My older daughter reminded, my eldest daughter reminded me the other day that the only reason she has an email she never sends email. And I was asking them, prodding them a little bit. And they said, the only reason you have an email, you have to have it. It's almost like a passport or a social security. So that's the, everything goes back to Jerry Lewis. That's your account. So everything can work. And then you start looking at the applications and how we're using it. You can see things are going to change, right? You could imagine we will not have email. Email will be a route or some way of routing that Jerry Lewis is real. And then we'll put more security and ways of working through the applications. Look at us now. How many in IBM, Jerry, how much more Slack we use and text messaging versus email versus before? I just wonder what the impact. Email is the new voicemail. Is that what you're saying? I think so. But doesn't that help us then do the safe kids AI and then go back to the workforce of we will have to, we're going to use an application for communication or for ordering? And will it be easier then to actually do what you need to do? Go back to your point, Liz, get on the internet, do what you need to do, and it'll be very precise. Maybe I'm wrong. I just... I like the train of where you're going. And I think, again, making it relevant for our listeners, connecting it back to where we are with the future workforce. We have young people coming into the workforce now who have been engaging with technology from the cradle. Absolutely. And they have, in some cases, had very strong restrictions put on that. Yep. 
and similar to the folks who come from houses where, you know, they don't ever get allowed out of the house in high school, their first week of college is quite an experience. (laughs) So what I think we need to be mindful of and be thinking about is how do we create the right environment where all of our people who are using technology, and again, in many of them, in great ways to drive collaboration, to foster innovation, how do we create spaces where people are able to maintain their self-awareness, not only of how much time they're spending or how they're spending that time, but also how the technology is acting on them? How aware are people of the manipulation that AI is performing on them? And so what we're trying to do is with young people, helping to educate them and coach them in the moment to use technology in ways that are generative, beneficial, and when they get a little lost, making sure that they're connecting with trusted adults. Because again, it's the relationships, like that's what matters. The fact that your daughters know how much you and your wife care, that's the thing that's gonna stick with them. So how do we then, as these young people transition into the workforce, foster an environment where the technology is supporting them, but also they're not in a position where they don't have the self-regulation to manage it. Yeah. As you're speaking, and Jason, as you're speaking, I'm literally playing my own product strategist role here, (laughs) visualizing how Slack could evolve to, as you type, give you color indicators as to the tone of your message, give you a happy face emoji if it's happy or a sad face if it's not, potentially enforce a pause if there's a strong indication that there's something you ought to think about, but you have to be careful with the level of interdiction because you don't want to come across as draconian. We've all heard about these systems that are, like you mentioned on kind of blocking you doing the hotel, there's even worse things. There's reports of you know companies mining all the emails, using the cameras to look at their people and if they're being productive or not, and then punishing them when they're not. Like Those are the kinds of things I think we need to avoid. Adults are adults. They can regulate themselves. But how do we assist them? And one of the things that we did, I think we did okay at IBM, was selling the story that AI is here to help humans not to take over. Yeah. And so how do we use safe kids at AI and those concepts, bring it into the workplace and assist employees at the level they are so that we're not overreaching with, hey, you need to think about this and stopping an email when it should go, but more sort of signals and semaphores around where you are in your communication and to help drive that self-awareness. Jerry, I think you're onto something because of all of it, it's the EQ and the miscommunication. We've gone away from letters, formal, Mm -hmm. dear Jerry, blah, 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 nice to meet you. We go into what? Hey, Jerry, we had a call yesterday, three elements, three points we need to pick up on. And I think there's a huge risk of miscommunication on all of this as well. Liz, got any views on that? Well, one, I completely agree. Let's discuss collaboration. <laughs> sure, <laughs> I, we should. There you go, sure. look. Yeah. But to that point, where, where we have the best opportunity is to help individuals gain that greater self-regulation and do that through coaching in the moment that doesn't trigger a stress response because the moment that you do that, you lose people. You can't make a good decision if you're in hyper stress. So giving them the opportunity to really understand what would make their next move the best move. And as you said, eliminate the frustration, bring about the clarity, and let's use the technology as it was intended as an enabler for human thriving. I think really well summarized. Yeah. Liz, I'd love to think, I don't know how much time you spend with the oil and gas execs or 
companies thinking about this? Because I think where we've gone is Safe Kids AI. How do you take those principles? What energy workforces for tomorrow? They're coming on and they're going to be smarter. They're going to be clearly more aware. They'll have the boundaries, but the right boundaries. We could take some of these principles, Jerry, like you just said today, the red, amber, green, where you're doing things. It's, it's got so many things working. Yeah. Liz, thank you very much. Any last words? I just want to say thank you again and feel free to come check us out. As you said, you said our website numerous times, safekids.ai. Come check us out. Even try out our products. They're available online. Cool. Jerry, I really enjoyed that. Do you think we should bring back Liz? She has to bring David Reed with her this time. Hey, we got to do one of these a week for a full year. So we're going to need some content. I think Liz has got more than enough to fill at least a full quarter's worth. So no, seriously, Liz. I'm full of it. (laughs) Oops. Before we start a fight, guys. Yeah, Liz, seriously, really, really appreciate it. Thank you very much. Thank you, Jerry. Thank you. So nice to have you on the show. And Chase, look forward to the next one. And go check out Safe Kids at AI. Safekids.ai. Just the last point. Listeners, please give this a listen. Give us really your comments. Jerry and I and the team are really looking for comments and views. If you want to hear more of Liz, less of Liz, more of where we're going to go, we want to get rid of Jerry. You know, <laughs> we really need to know these things. But seriously, we will adapt, adopt, and improve. And if you want to be like Liz and come on the show, we'd be more than happy, right, Jerry? That's right. Always looking for good content guests. Liz, thank you very much again. Thank you all. Jerry, thanks. see you thanks. next Have time. Have a great day. Join us again next week on the Energy Workforce of Tomorrow podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. To learn more, go to OGGN.com.